Part Four of Omnilingual by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Trishy Matson. www.whatsthewordnow.blogspot.com. Ivan Fitzgerald finally isolated the germ that had caused the Finchley girl's undiagnosed illness. Shortly afterward, the malady turned into a mild fever, from which she recovered. Nobody else seemed to have caught it. Fitzgerald was still trying to find out how the germ had been transmitted. They found a globe of Mars made when the city had been a seaport. They located the city and learned that its name had been Kukan, or something with a similar vowel-consonant ratio. Immediately, Sid Chamberlain and Gloria Standish began giving their telecasts a Kukan dateline, and Hubert Penrose used the name in his official reports. They also found a Martian calendar. The year had been divided into ten more or less equal months, and one of them had been Doma. Another word was Nor, and that was a part of the name of the scientific journal Martha had found. Bill Chandler, the zoologist, had been going deeper and deeper into the old sea bottom of Sirtis. Four hundred miles from Kukan, and at fifteen thousand feet lower altitude, he shot a bird. At least, it was something with wings and what were almost but not quite feathers, although it was more reptilian than avian in general characteristics. He and Ivan Fitzgerald skinned and mounted it, and then dissected the carcass almost tissue by tissue. About seven-eighths of its body capacity was lungs. It certainly breathed air containing at least half enough oxygen to support human life or five times as much as the air around Kukan. That took the center of interest away from archaeology and started a new burst of activity. All the expedition's aircraft, four jetacopters and three wingless airdyne reconnaissance fighters, were thrown into intensified exploration of the lower sea bottoms, and the bioscience boys and girls were wild with excitement in making new discoveries on each flight. The university was left to Selim and Martha and Tony Latimer, the latter keeping to himself, while she and the old Turco-German worked together. The civilian specialists in other fields and the Space Force people who had been holding tape lines and making sketches and snapping cameras were all flying to lower Sirtis to find out how much oxygen there was and what kind of life it supported. Sometimes Sachiko dropped in, most of the time, she was busy helping Ivan Fitzgerald dissect specimens. They had four or five species of what might loosely be called birds, and something that could easily be classed as a reptile, and a carnivorous mammal the size of a cat with bird-like claws, and a herbivore almost identical with the pig-like thing in the big Darfholva mural, and another like a gazelle with a single horn in the middle of its forehead. The high point came when one party, at 30,000 feet below the level of Kukan, found breathable air. One of them had a mild attack of soroche and had to be flown back for treatment in a hurry, but the others showed no ill effects. The daily newscasts from Terra showed a corresponding shift in interest at home. The discovery of the university had focused attention on the dead past of Mars. Now, the public was interested in Mars as a possible home for humanity. 
It was Tony Latimer who brought archaeology back into the activities of the expedition and the news at home. Martha and Selim were working in the museum on the second floor, scrubbing the grime from the glass cases, noting contents, and grease-penciling numbers. Latimer and a couple of Space Force officers were going through what had been the administrative offices on the other side. It was one of these, a young second lieutenant, who came hurrying in from the mezzanine, almost bursting with excitement. Hey, Martha! Dr. Von Olmhorst! he was shouting. Where are you? Tony's found the Martians! Salim dropped his rag back into the bucket. She laid her clipboard on top of the case beside her. Where? they asked together. Over on the north side. The lieutenant took hold of himself and spoke more deliberately. Little room. Back of one of the old faculty offices. Conference room. It was locked from the inside, and we had to burn it down with a torch. That's where they are. Eighteen of them. Around a long table. Gloria Standish, who had dropped in for lunch, was on the mezzanine fairly screaming into a radiophone extension. Dozen and a half of them. Well, of course they're dead. What a question. They look like skeletons covered with leather. No, I do not know what they died of. Well, forget it. I don't care if Bill Chandler's found a three-headed hippopotamus. Sid, don't you get it? We've found the Martians. She slammed the phone back on its hook, rushing away ahead of them. Martha remembered the closed door. On the first survey, they hadn't attempted opening it. Now it was burned away at both sides and lay, still hot along the edges, on the floor of the big office room in front. A floodlight was on in the room inside, and Latimer was going around looking at things, while the Space Force officer stood by the door. The center of the room was filled by a long table. In armchairs around it sat the eighteen men and women, who had occupied the room for the last fifty millennia. There were bottles and glasses on the table in front of them, and, had she seen them in a dimmer light, she would have thought that they were merely dozing over their drinks. One had a knee hooked over his chair arm and was curled in fetus-like sleep. Another had fallen forward onto the table, arms extended, the emerald set of a ring twinkling dully on one finger. Skeletons covered with leather, Gloria Standish had called them, and so they were. Faces like skulls, arms and legs like sticks, the flesh shrunken onto the bones under it. Isn't this something? Latimer was exulting. Mass suicide, that's what it was. Notice what's in the corners? Braziers made of perforated two-gallon-odd metal cans, the white walls smudged with smoke above them. Von Olmhorst had noticed them at once, and was poking into one of them with his flashlight. Yes, charcoal. I noticed a quantity of it around a couple of hand forges in the shop on the first floor. That's why you had so much trouble breaking in. They'd sealed the room on the inside. He straightened and went around the room until he found a ventilator and peered into it. Stuffed with rags. They must have been all that were left here. Their power was gone, and they were old and tired, and all around them their world was dying. So they just came in here and lit the charcoal and sat drinking together till they all fell asleep. Well, 
We know what became of them now. Anyhow. Sid and Gloria made the most of it. The Terran public wanted to hear about Martians, and if live Martians couldn't be found, a room full of dead ones was the next best thing. Maybe an even better thing. It had been only sixty-odd years since the Orson Welles invasion scare. Tony Latimer, the discoverer, was beginning to cash in on his attentions to Gloria and his ingratiation with Sid. He was always either making voice and image talks for telecast or listening to the news from the home planet. Without question, he had become, overnight, the most widely known archaeologist in history. Not that I'm interested in all this for myself, he disclaimed, after listening to the telecast from Terra two days after his discovery. But this is going to be a big thing for Martian archaeology. Bring it to the public attention. Dramatize it. Salim, can you remember when Lord Carnarvon and Howard Carter found the tomb of Tutankhamun? In 1923, I was two years old then, von Olmhorst chuckled. I really don't know how much that publicity ever did for Egyptology. Oh, the museums did devote more space to Egyptian exhibits. And after a museum department head gets a few extra showcases, you know how hard it is to make him give them up. And for a while, it was easier to get financial support for new excavations. But I don't know how much good all this public excitement really does in the long run. Well, I think one of us should go back on the Cyrano when the Chaparelli orbits in, Latimer said. I'd hoped it would be you. Your voice would carry the most weight. But I think it's important that one of us go back to present the story of our work and what we have accomplished and what we hope to accomplish to the public and to the universities and the learned societies and to the Federation government. There will be a great deal of work that will have to be done. We must not allow the other scientific fields and the so-called practical interests to monopolize public and academic support. So, I believe I shall go back at least for a while and see what I can do. Lectures The Organization of a Society of Martian Archaeology With Anthony Latimer, Ph.D., the logical candidate for the chair Degrees, honors, the deference of the learned, and the adulation of the lay public Positions, with impressive titles and salaries Sweet are the uses of publicity. She crushed out her cigarette and got to her feet. Well, I still have the final lists of what we found in Halfhulva, biology, department to check over. I'm starting on Sornhulva tomorrow, and I want that stuff in shape for expert evaluation. That was the sort of thing Tony Latimer wanted to get away from, the detail work and the drudgery. Let the infantry do the slogging through the mud. The brass hats got the medals. End of part four.